0: I just over time just began to be seen as like this weird kid that's like obsessed with anime, obsessed with video games. That's all he talks about. And so I guess subconsciously looking back on it now, felt like I didn't belong, felt like I didn't fit, felt like I was this weirdo and that there was something wrong with me. And that began to just build resentment and things like that. There would be times during the worship where kids would get up and start testifying of like ways God has like brought freedom into their life or things that God is showing them. And in the back of my head, I would look at them and I'd be like, yo, that's amazing. But I really don't think that'll ever be me i was at my grandma's house during the summer because again my parents had to work and i was reading second corinthians 5 verse 17 through 21 it's a very famous passage it says if anyone is in christ he's a new creation all things pass away all things are new i uh, skipped down to v- verse 20 and it says we are christ's ambassadors the only way i know how to explain it is when i saw that word ambassadors something clicked in my mind and it was as if god was trying to show me that's who you are
1: well, Josh, it's an honor to have you on Delafay Testimonies today. Uh, for people who don't know you, who maybe have never seen you, this is their first time seeing you, could you just go ahead and introduce yourself for the people who are watching on the other side of the screen?
0: Absolutely. So my name is Josh, or Joshua Gale. I'm 24 years old. I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, and um, I'm the video editor for Delafay Testimonies. Come
1: on. Um, Josh, it's been a blessing to know you. It's been a blessing to work with you. Um, Tell us about your testimony of Jesus, starting with your childhood. Absolutely.
0: Um, So... I had a really awesome childhood for the most part. I grew up in an amazing Christian home with two amazing parents who love the Lord and love me. I feel like they've been telling me about Jesus since the time I first opened up my eyes, <laughs> honestly. Um, not much to complain about there. In a home saturated with not just two um, parents that love the Lord, but really like took their faith seriously, like went out of their way to disciple me. My dad would always have either some kind of praise or worship music, different genres of Christian music playing throughout the house or sermons or conferences. And my mom was always, both of them were just always going out of their way to um, really disciple me in the ways of the Lord. They've even told me that when my mom was pregnant with me, that my mom would sing over me, my dad would read scripture over me in the womb. Like, so I was in there, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Um, raised in a Christian home, been going to church since I can remember, right? Right. I've always believed in God. I always believed in Jesus. But I remember there was a distinct time at the age of seven where I just wanted to make sure that I was saved, right? I'd always believed in Jesus, but I just wanted to make sure that I was going to heaven if I were to die. And so I remember very clearly it was Good Friday. My mom was in the kitchen cooking something. There was somebody on TV, a preacher, preaching about the blood of Jesus and the cross. And I just felt compelled to, like, okay, let's make this official. So I went to my mom and I said, mom, this is what she tells me. I said, if I were to die today, like would I go to heaven and how can I be sure of that? And so she um, just walked me through the gospel again, reminded me of like, okay, here's, you know, God loves us. You're made for relationship with God, but we've all sinned against God. And because we've all sinned against God, we deserve hell. And, but that's why Jesus came because he loves us so much that he came to die for us and reconcile us. And, you know, that's how you can be sure you to, that if you were to die, you can, you're going to heaven when you die is by placing your faith in Jesus, believing in Him. Oh. And it's that simple. And so she led me in what I now know is the sinner's prayer and I meant it sincerely, I believed. And I, I was born again that day. And then I, not too long after that, I was seven at that time. Not too long after that, I was eight years old. I got baptized at my old church. And um, I've been a Christian for many years. I was, I was seven or eight years old. I'm 24 now. But it took many, many years for the reality of what Jesus had truly done for me to really impact my life, especially when it comes to the topic of identity.
1: Mm. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's such a young age for you to make that decision. And obviously you remember and you felt what, you know, what was going through your mind and your body at that time. But yeah, talk to us about that, about the process of finding your identity as a son of God.
0: Yeah, so that happened at seven or eight years old. Around that same age of eight years old, I was in third grade at the time, and I began to befriend these group of boys that we became close really quick. We had similar interests. You know, they were into video games, as was I. And they liked to draw. They actually taught me how to draw and things like that. And we would have fun, you know. But you're kids, so you're like, what, eight years old? You're in third grade. So naturally, there would be times where we're doing good as a friend group. And then there'd be times where we're kind of beefing with each other. There's some disagreements. There's something going on. But because you're young, you're a kid, so you don't really know how to navigate conflict super well. So there would be seasons where it just felt like things were very up and down. One moment we'd be cool, the next moment I would unintentionally say something or do something and one of them would be upset or I would be upset or, you know, something like that. So it was a very up and down dynamic. I was with these group of friends for a long time and I remember when we, got into about fourth grade um fourth grade around nine years old around that age that's when a lot of us began to lose our innocence if you in a sense if you will just some of them would begin to like just start cursing and start you know making sexual jokes and things of that nature it's also funny because that was like what 2007 or eight so YouTube had just came out and so there's all these wild videos on the internet that people are like repeating and all this kind of stuff and so I remember um I don't know if it's because I'm an only child or what it is but I think all of us as humans Humans, we have this desire to belong, to fit in. You know, we want to be accepted. You know, we want to feel like we fit, we belong. So I was very hungry for acceptance, and unfortunately, because of that, I would do anything to fit in. You know, so if they if they started cursing, eventually I started cursing. If they started talking about X, Y, and Z, I started exploring those things and talking about those things too. And so, but even so, like again, we still had this very tumultuous dynamic of one minute we're good, the next minute they're not, and for some reason, almost. Almost every single time it was because of something I did or said or didn't do or didn't say. And so honestly, being in that friend group, a lot of seeds of rejection started to be sewn. So, I remember um, fourth grade in particular, um, a lot of my these friends that I was hanging around, they started to uh, watch wrestling and get into that, right? And so as any kid does, you know, you see that stuff on TV, you know, you're not supposed to maybe follow it or copy it, but you do. And so there'd be times where something would happen and all of a sudden things start to get physical, you know? And there were times where I was kicked. There was times where I was pushed. There was times where I was called names, you know, people, some of them would be like, you're such a baby, you're weak, you're wimpy, you're nothing. All these, a lot of rejection. Just a lot of different things happening, altercations, different things where these seeds of rejection started to be sown, even though I didn't fully understand it at the time. Transition into fifth grade, um, very similar type thing. The only difference is now um, the whole topic of sexuality gets brought into it because my friends actually beat my parents at giving me the talk. I guess my parents wanted to wait a little longer because, you know, they wanted to make sure I was ready for that kind of conversation. But my friends, I don't know, it just happened. We just talked about it one day. And so they ended up telling me about sex before my parents did. And so that whole dynamic is starting to be introduced. They started talking about pornography and things like that at like nine, 10 years old. And I didn't know what it was. And so I asked my parents and they tell me and, you know, all of that. Now at that time, I didn't really, um, pornography was not something I had any interest in. When I found out what it is, I was like, oh man, I'm not watching that. That's nasty. Right. But then just, you know, little seeds of things like that would begin to be planted. And I remember going into middle school, I these same friends, we all ended up going to the same middle school. We all started out pretty nerdy, you know, into video games, anime, and that whole thing. But when we got into middle school and interesting things started happening, most of my friends started hanging out more with like the cool kids, the popular crowd. So like, you know, the group that's like more into hip hop and like urban culture and things like that. And so they may still have had a little bit of the nerdy aspect, but they started transitioning with into that crowd, but I was still very much a nerdy kid. I still love to draw. I still love video games. I still love like drawing anime characters and like taking my drawings to school and showing them to people and being made fun of and that whole thing. So um, it was very, it was a very interesting dynamic. I still would try to, uh, there would be seasons in middle school where I would, again, where I would be cool with them and then there would be seasons where I wasn't. And um, this rejection thing starts getting, I guess, amplified, if you will, because I already kind of feel, I'm already this weird kid who doesn't fit in. And on top of that, because I feel that way, I had a mouth on me and I got angry very easily. So the slightest comment, the slightest little thing would set me off and I would curse people out and I would do all these things. And so over time just began to be seen as like this weird kid, you know, that like, that's like obsessed with anime, obsessed with video games. That's all, that's all he talks about. And so I really had this like feeling like an outcast thing. Now I still had friends, but... I guess subconsciously looking back on it now, felt like I didn't belong, felt like I didn't fit, felt like I was this weirdo and that there was something wrong with me. And that began to um, just build resentment and things like that. Um, I wasn't an angry kid all the time. I was definitely happy a lot and things like that. But then like whenever something would happen, instant down in the dumps kind of dynamic. And again, this is all while being a Christian, while genuinely... Wanting to know God more and love God more, I distinct I distinctly remember while all this kind of stuff is happening, being in church and like we had a middle school ministry and our middle school youth pastor, she would, she would not be afraid to talk about like the topics that a lot of teenagers deal with, whether it's alcohol or sex or those things and just anger, just and I would be sitting in youth group getting convicted. Like, oh man, like I know I shouldn't be compromising when I'm hanging with my friends and they're making these kind of jokes. I know I shouldn't be doing this. i would be sitting there getting convicted. So like there was a genuine desire in me to want to change, to want to know God more. My parents would always be telling me, hey, you make sure you're spending time with God. Make sure you're reading your Bible. And I would try to, but I just felt Kind of like there was a disconnect i honestly felt like god was kind of boring even though i got a genuine love for god but compared to the video game anime world i was in and just movies and things of that nature just things that normal i guess teenage boys are into mm. i just kind of felt i always felt like there was this disconnect and it was just interesting to me because I remember one time in seventh grade, we had like this, um, they call it a burn, like a 72-hour nonstop event where there was just nonstop worship and prayer and different worship teams and pastors and people from all over the country and probably even other nations came. I would be in there like genuinely enjoying myself like, oh, I like this, you know, this is cool, you know, engaging, you know, to the best of my ability. But then like, I'd still feel that disconnect. I'd still like be trying to fit in with my friends and not exactly be sure where I was at, so... And then on top of that, like I'm in middle school, so everyone's dating or whatever and getting into that. So I started dabbling a little bit here and there with pornography. I wasn't like stone cold addicted, but I like experimented with it a few times and you know, on and off. But, uh, and so that element is also being introduced into this too, but then something very interesting started happening around, I'd say eighth grade. Um, Around eighth grade, um, a little bit of context. So most of the friends that I grew up with from elementary school, they happened to be Hispanic. And so I remember when we were in eighth grade, there was this group of sixth graders that came up and most of them happened to be black, and um, they, for whatever reason, there just started to be this contention between these two groups of kids. And there would be times where fights would almost break out and things of that nature. And um, I would be hanging with my friends and I would just see like, they would be talking about, oh man, those people, they always do this, they always do that. And I would see how a lot of these, um, what some people may call the ratchet folks, if you will, how how they would act and different things. And over time, that's where I believe seeds of like this resentment towards, how do you call it? Like that ghetto urban crowd of, um, it can include African-Americans and Hispanics, but for whatever reason, for me, it was more so like the African-Americans, but I guess it included both of them as well. I just had that resentment building up in my heart just over time. And then I remember when we transitioned in the high school, most of my friends that I went, that I grew up with that I went to elementary school with, they ended up going to a different high school. And, um, I went to a different high school with some other friends of mine who were nerdy like me. And it was a very interesting dynamic because this high school I went to was predominantly African-American and Hispanic. And it's just like a very different vibe from how we were, you know, like a lot of the hallways smell like weed. You just, you hear all kinds of things. You see all kinds of things. Mm. And we're just these three little nerdy kids just walking around. And so I remember, I believe that freshman year of high school is where the enemy really like came after me heavy. I, Mind you, I already have, this baggage on a subconscious level from just a lot of the rejection i've been through i was bullied as well you know different things like that and so in the back of my mind all that's going on and while all that's going on i'm in a high school where i'm a small guy i'm in this you know i'm in this space where i don't really feel like i fit and this resentment towards those ratchet people, if you will, started growing. I remember one time I was walking to my first period. It was a science class, and there was this long hallway I would have to walk down to get to that class. And um, I remember I looked to my left, and there's this group of um, Latino boys, and they look like they're probably 18, 19 years old. I don't know. I don't know if I looked at them wrong or if I said something under my breath. I probably did, because again, the resentment is starting to build. Next thing I know, they surround me, and um, thankfully nothing happened. I wasn't beat up or anything, but just little. They would they surrounded me and would like snarl at me and i just just little things like that would start to ha- that resentment would start to grow and grow and grow and on top of that um one of the animes i would watch at the time there was this one character that would be always quick to vocalize his hatred of other people and i really believe that that show was a doorway for a spirit of hatred to really enter into my life. And the reason I say that is because I remember one one moment I was, um, my mom was driving me somewhere, um, maybe from school. And um, I guess I was telling her some of the things I was experiencing and how I was feeling. And she was like, well, how does all that make you feel? Like, how do you feel about those kids, you know? And i said hatred pure hatred and i knew subconsciously i'm probably repeating that from that show that i was watching but i believe it was deeper than that i believe i genuinely felt that but i also sincerely believed that the devil was really using all of those things to really um just really fill me with hatred and so i remember um maybe halfway through my freshman year i was just in a really dark place i was bound by fear and insecurity I'm hateful. I'm so hateful that I remember there was a season where I would pray and tell God, like, God, you know, these people are not going to, these ratchet people, these ones that yell and scream and do all this crazy stuff. They smell like weed, all this stuff. You, know, I would say to God in my little arrogant 14 year old self, you know, these people are not going to do anything with their life. They're just going to make life miserable for the rest of us. So it'd be better if you just wipe them all off the face of the earth hmm. so we wouldn't have to deal with them. And that's just where I was at. That's how gone I was, I suppose. But on top of that, around this same time, I began to have a deep, deep addiction to pornography. Looking back on it now, I think there are a lot of factors as to why that was. I mean, for one thing, you're in high school and everyone's dating and sexually active and almost every boy in high school, it seems like, watches pornography and talks about it openly and things like that. And so you have that element where it's just the natural temptation. But I also believe that on a deeper level, there was an insecurity, right? Because I'm believing all these lies about myself, that I'm weak, that I'm nothing, all that, and at the same time. I'm in high school, so obviously there are girls I have crushes on that I know none of them are interested in me or anything like that. So because I was looking to that as a sense, I was looking to some teenager relationship as a means to find validation or love or acceptance, if you will. All of those factors combined, plus like reading anime, reading manga, sometimes you see ads for different things and things like that. And so I think really it became a way for me to subconsciously hide or escape from all the lies I was believing, all the insecurities, all the brokenness and just pain I was feeling Mm. on the inside. And so I was addicted to pornography for, I'd say, a few months and um, it got really bad. It got so bad to the point where I remember one day um, it was like Thanksgiving break. It was Thanksgiving weekend, right? And so I was in my family, me and my family were in Philly visiting some cousins of mine that used to live there. And I remember one of my older cousins had let me borrow her phone to like play games and stuff. And so what do you think I did after a while? I started watching porn, right? And I'm sorry to say this now, but I remember at the time I had um, some younger cousins. Um, so at the time I was about 14, they might've been like maybe no older than five or six. And some of them are probably younger. And I would be like watching whatever I was watching porn or whatever scenes from movies or whatever on this phone. And like some of my younger cousins would be coming over to me like, Hey, what are you doing? And I'm trying to like hide it from them and be like, don't worry about it. Not doing that good of a job. But at that point it had sincerely become an addiction. I just did not care. I was so desperate to try to satisfy those desires or whatever have you. And so, Literally, days after that trip, it's Monday, and I'm home. At my, I'm at my grandma's house from school because she would always pick me up because my parents had to go to work. And one day, my mom calls the phone. That same day, actually, my mom calls the phone and um, she says, hey, uh, put JT, that's my nickname, on the phone. And um, she talks to me and she says, hey, um, whatever you do, don't get on grandma's computer today. I would get on my grandma's computer to do homework, but eventually, obviously, that's not all I would do. I would watch porn and et cetera. She said, whatever you do, don't get on the computer today. It may not make much sense, but it's for your own good, for your own safety. Just don't do it. And I was like, okay. And she's like, we'll talk more about it when you get home. And so I hung, up, I hang, I hang up the phone, and I instantly knew what was about to go down. I knew, okay, they probably found out that I have this addiction. You know, I was being careless. You know, anytime I had a device in my hand, that's what I would look at after a while. Naturally, I get home. We have dinner, and my parents, in the most loving way possible, they confront me on this, and they say, hey, we know you're addicted to this. And um, they made it clear that they weren't trying to shame me. They made it clear that they weren't trying to like keep all this condemnation on me. And my dad especially was like very gentle with me and just trying to encourage me. But I hate to say this, but because I was so filled with shame, I was like so defensive. And so I had the worst attitude during that whole conversation. And so after a while, my mom couldn't take anymore and she just went upstairs. And I remember my dad was there washing dishes. And like, again, my dad is the kind of person who's always trying to drill into me, hey, like." get in the word, like spend time with God, like that's your answer. And I literally remember I probably started crying at this point and I was just angry and upset. And I was like, dad, I'm trying. I'm trying to spend time with God. I'm trying to get in the word. It's not working for me. Like, I don't feel any different. Like, it doesn't seem like it's working for me. Nothing's happening. And my dad was very adamant. No, no, no. The word works. You just have to stick with it. Mm -hmm. And like, we would have so, so many conversations like that. After that scenario, I became very, I started to be very intentional, a lot more intentional about spending time with God, reading my Bible and things like that. I would still falter at times, but it was like the Lord used that scenario to kind of corner me and wake me up. So a few months after that, it's like the second half of my freshman year of high school now. And little by little, things start getting better. Not only did um, I start spending more time with God, but something else that my dad would do was he started playing these sermons around the house. I mean, he always did that. But in, in this season in particular, he was playing a lot of sermons from this ministry called IHOPKC, kc which is the international house of prayer in Kansas City and they had this very interesting ministry called the African American Forerunner Alliance where it was an intentional ministry where they really felt called to contend for the destiny of God on the black community because for a little bit of context a lot of a lot of us that grow up in the black community we may grow up in church but honestly there can a lot of times it's just a form of the culture there's not a lot of sincere faith there's not a lot of like people who are there who really do love the lord and i'm sure there are there are many that do but then there's also many that it's just it there's more it's more religion than anything else it's more like just form and tradition hmm. there's a bible verse that says having a form of godliness but denying its power kind of thing. It was just very cultural. And so they were really contending for that and saying, no, 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 God has more for the black community. So I started hearing all these messages from these different people on that subject. And I started seeing, I would see these little videos of like kids or teenagers or young adults and they're praying and they're reading the word. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And so God is starting to like corner me. He's starting to like hit on different things. The addiction to pornography lessened. There were measures taken to kind of like prevent that as well. And, um, the hatred in my heart started going down a little bit I still had a little bit of that resentment I was still very guarded you know but um little by little the Lord started cornering me even to the point where um at my old church's youth group at the time when I, the Lord started moving like he started there would be times during the worship where kids would get up and start testifying of like ways God has like brought freedom into their life or mm. things that God is showing them and in the back of my head I would look at them and I'd be like yo that's amazing but I really don't think that'll ever be me I've tried the whole trying to get closer to God thing. And I'm just gonna be one of those guys that goes to church as a Christian, but I'm not really gonna be one of them crazy people that are on fire for God, as they say. And so that's what I would think. But again, little by little, the Lord started challenging these lies, these mindsets. And so a couple things happened. Um, close to the end of freshman year of high school, I remember one day I was I went to church and we had a guest speaker that day, or a guest. His name was Eddie James. He's a worship leader. He um, also has this ministry where he'll take street care and like evangelize to them, disciple them and like have 50 or so of them live in his house. And like, he'll train them on like what it means to like use their gifts for the Lord when it comes to worship and like rap and even dance and things like that spoken word. And so I remember one day I walk into church with my family and there's Eddie James on stage and his team leading worship. And I look to my right and there's like 50 or so street kids, the same kids that I would walk by in the halls in high school and just have such deep resentment towards, but they're going crazy, jumping, praising God, like going. All out, and I'm looking. I'm like, I've never seen anything like this before. This is crazy. So, and 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 later on, they're getting on stage testifying about how God set them free from drugs. They were they used to be in gangs, and God saved them and set them free. All these things, and I'm like, okay, God, I see you. You're definitely challenging my paradigm of who you can save and who you can't save, right? And so again, just that it was a process. It was a process. I I remember not too long ago looking through old journals I wrote because I would always journal through all of these years. I was journaling, writing my prayers to god and i remember just reading them and just seeing like the tension right the i'm trying to do good but i'm struggling or god help me with this so the whole time like god was just so kind to me and so patient with me in this process and i remember not too long after that it was the summer of my freshman year of high school it was around late july ish and um, the timeline gets a little fuzzy for me but there was one moment in particular that i remember where basically everything changed for me I was at my grandma's house during the summer, because again, my parents had to work, and I was reading 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 21. It's a very famous passage. It says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things are new. And the reason I was reading that passage was because my dad was playing sermons by the main leader at IHOP, Mike Bickle, a lot. And um, Mike Bickle's a great Bible teacher. He takes very dense concepts in the Word of God and makes them simple. And I remember he did this one message on identity and it was based off of that passage. And he starts saying things I've never heard before about how like God doesn't just love us, he likes us, he delights in us, in our weakness. And talking about how when we become saved, we become a new creation and the spirit of God comes to dwell within us. And that power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. Things my dad has been telling me all my life, but I guess maybe hearing it from somebody else, it, it, it starts to click or the Holy Spirit was working. I'm at my grandma's house reading that passage because I genuinely, at this point in my life, I genuinely wanted to... I wanted to see change. I wanted to know what it means to live a kingdom lifestyle. Cause that's a phrase my dad would use a lot. Like you're part of a new kingdom. So learn what it means to be a part of that lifestyle. And so at this time, my heart is opening up more and more. And I'm like, okay, God, show me, show me what this means. Show me what this looks like. I'm reading this passage. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, all things pass away. All things are new. I uh, skip down to v- verse 20 and it says, we are Christ's ambassadors. And I don't know how to really explain this, but the only way I know how to explain it is when I saw that word ambassadors, something clicked in my mind. It was as if I was seeing things I couldn't see before. Not literally. I'm not the kind of person that sees things in in the spirit like other people do. But I um, just started having this imagery of like Thor from the Avengers. Again, nerdy kid. And so um, just this image of somebody that's royalty, right? And it was as if God was trying to show me that's who you are. Hmm. All those things those kids said about you, all everything you've heard all your life, those are lies. And all of a sudden, like, for whatever reason, my mind was like, I believe this. This is true about me. This is who I am. Wow. Like it's not the externals that define me. The spirit of God lives within me. Again, everything my parents have been trying to tell me my whole life, it's finally clicking. This is who I am. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this changes everything. <laughs> this means that um Again, I'm not what others have said about me. I'm not defined by what I'm wearing or how I look on the outside. I'm defined by the fact that when I got born again, God gave me a new spirit and he made me a new creation. And um, something else you have to understand about me, I watch animes and all these shows and movies where there's a kid who's an outcast and he like feels like he's rejected by everyone and then all of a sudden he realizes he has this power inside of him that's greater than anything anyone's ever seen and on top of that he he realizes that he's a part of a greater storyline a greater thing that's like bigger than him and so that's what I wanted I wanted significance I wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than me and I remember when I was in high school in ninth grade they had an anime club and the girl leading it said, "Don't you wish that when you're done watching an anime, that you you go back and you see your normal life, and you're like, man, I wish life could really be like that?" Mm. Well, I believe in this moment, the Lord was trying to show me that it really can be like that. He he opened up my eyes to my identity in Christ and showed me, no, you're a citizen of my kingdom. You're not of this world. You have my power living inside of you. You have a destiny on your life. You have a purpose on your life. And man, when that when I grabbed when I grabbed hold of that, everything changed. I remember like I st- I started changing what I was listening to. Used to listen to like dubstep and like all these different things. Now I'm listening to like Lecrae and Jesus Culture and all these things. And I'm like spending like hours a day writing pages and pages of things God's showing me in the word. I'm like reading the Bible for hours a day, watching Christian television for hours a day, pages and pages of notes of things God is showing me and things God's speaking to me. And by the time I got to my sophomore year of high school when that summer was over, I was in a completely different headspace. I have my little iPod shuffle. I have my earphones in. I'm walking through the hallways. I'm like, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Completely different headspace. It was like night and day. Mm. Ninth grade, I'm this broken kid who's trying to fit in and is just really struggling. Now I know who I am. Now, mind you, I still had things I was struggling with during that time. There were still times where I would stumble with lust or stumble with like fear or just, you know, doubt or whatever have you. But God had definitely done a work in me. Some months later, I got linked up with these Christian friends and they were who were on fire for God. One of them I knew before he got saved. So I was actually shocked to see him there because I didn't realize the Lord had done a work in his life. Not long after that, we began to be really passionate about sharing the gospel at our high school and like seeing kids come to faith. And um, yeah, that junior year, like the Lord had moved in a powerful way in, in my church. Right before junior year started, a guest had come and we had a conference and the Holy Spirit was really moving and evangelism kept on being highlighted. And so I remember that junior year, we were just like, we were going crazy, just like evangelizing to everyone. We saw some people get saved. We even saw a couple people get healed. There was this movie that had come out at the time called Holy Ghost with um, Todd White and some different people where you would see them like going around laying hands on people prophesying. And so we were going for it, man. It was actually really amazing. But the one thing that was still a struggle for me was condemnation. And the reason that was was because every time I would try to tell somebody about Jesus and clench up because of fear or something like that, instantly condemnation would just hit me heavy and I knew better. I knew like, okay, I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by the, you know, the blood of Jesus, the Jesus shed his blood and made me righteous. I no longer have to approach God because of what I do, but what he did, I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but it was still a struggle just to get over that. And I remember as months would go by, especially going into my senior year, this continued. I remember my senior year of high school, a similar thing had happened over the summer, the Holy Spirit had really, some of us were struggling and the Holy Spirit had restored us. In that senior year, we became very passionate about evangelism again. We were really trying to see our our Christian club at our high school expand again. And so we started printing out flyers and um, doing all these things. And I remember around that time, there was these three, um, I guess, delinquent kids that that got transferred to our high school. And you could tell they were just like really stone-faced, didn't really talk to anyone. And I started feeling a burden to go talk to them. And I remember one morning, my mom is dropping me off at school she has like this dream or something that she's telling me about, about, oh, I told this person about Jesus and this happened in my dream and all of this. And I just knew like, okay, today's the day I'm going to tell those kids about Jesus. And I go, I walk into, uh, in the direction of where the cafeteria is. They're posted up, just standing there on the wall. I look up and what do I see? One of our flyers for our club right above their heads. So I'm like, all right, God, I can tell you want me to go talk to him. So I post up next to him. I pretend to be on my phone until I get the courage to talk to him. The only problem is the courage or the feeling of it at least never came i shrunk back in fear and i just felt so ashamed and just went to my class and different things like that would start happening eventually i started to um in little ways kind of revert to old habits I start, again, having that resentment of myself because of I feel like I'm failing as a Christian and things like that. And because I start resenting myself, I start getting irritable with other people, I start resenting other people, and I start falling back into some old habits. And really, by the time I, the second half of my senior year came around, I was in a depression. Because even though God was doing all of these things and reminding me like, hey, no, it's what I've done for you. I still felt this like feeling like, man, I feel like I'm not measuring up. I feel like, you know, it's my senior year. I want to leave an impact and all these things. And honestly, like I I was struggling around this time. I even started having suicidal thoughts, which is not something I had struggled with before. But all of a sudden now it's like, ah, well, if I can't fulfill the plan God has for my life, maybe I don't, I shouldn't even be here anymore. Mm Now I was way too scared to actually end my life. But these thoughts would just plague me constantly. And so eventually I confessed to my parents that I'm struggling, like in this way. And my dad basically says something to me and he's like, You gotta remember who your father is. You gotta remember like your identity. And again, your identity in Christ. It seems like my whole life has always come back to this one concept of identity. And so little by little I start to come out of that depressive state. I remember I had a graduation party because I had graduated high school and um <clears throat> I had an unsaved friend be the MC at this party because he was like, just had such a dynamic personality. And I remember towards the end of the party when it's time for everyone to share some encouraging words about my life and how I've impacted them and stuff. He says, man, When I tell everybody, hey, y'all know Josh? They say, which one? I always say Christian Josh, because then as soon as I say that, they all know who I'm talking about, because this dude is always like telling people about Jesus. And honestly, that meant a lot to me. I felt like my senior year, I was failing. I wasn't really—there were so many missed opportunities, I felt like, to share God's love with people, and I felt like I was just taking L's left and right. But God used this party, used this unsaved friend and all these people to let me know you're doing better than you think you are, Mm. and to remind me that I was his, and that ultimately— My identity is in Him and so eventually I got out of that season and um, it's been seven years at least since then of just walking with the Lord and Him shepherding me and leading me through, setting me free in different areas, be it insecurity, be it pornography, which was something that took longer even, almost as recently as only a few years ago to get really free from. And just, I've seen God do so much in my life. I've seen God do so much through my life. And um, yeah, it's just been an amazing journey and I'm just incredibly grateful to know the, to know God and to know that I can know him in this way and really walk with him. Yeah.
1: Josh, talk to us a little bit about uh, the redemption when it came to the way that you saw people, when it came to uh, uh, black people, Hispanic people, that hatred that you had. Talk to us about that redemption and even how he's using you today to continue to evangelize uh, to people all over the world.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I had that encounter with God, when I first got awakened— he definitely did something in breaking that hatred off and um, helping me to see people through his eyes. But it wasn't until maybe 2016ish around there that I re- that the Lord really began to take me on this journey <coughs> of um, seeing people the way He sees them. He began to show me um, in 2016 is when all of these police involved shootings and things started happening, and it was all over the news and everything, and everyone was talking about it. And I remember that um, these uh, the Lord used that whole season to really confront some mindsets I had, you know, I would find myself thinking things like, well, if they weren't so ratchet and if they didn't do all this and that, they wouldn't get shot and all these kinds of things. And um, my parents would start to tell me, you know, like racism still exists today, like, you know, on a systemic level and all these kinds of things. And I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. But basically, I would very much like say, no, that's not true. And I would get very prideful and defensive and angry. And really what the Lord began to show me was that I had some undealt with resentment towards urban people in general, but especially African Americans. And um, the only reason I can really think as to why that is, is because eventually after I got awakened and I just saw so many examples of amazing, like Hispanic people in love with Jesus and like such some of the most loving people you'll ever meet and everything like that. And I guess in my experience, I didn't see as many African Americans truly walking in that. And I suppose maybe that's a reason why it took me longer to deal with that resentment, but the Lord just started really softening my heart and confronting me and through a variety of ways, a variety of things I began to watch where he just started showing me like, no, there's more to this than you think there is. But also he began to show me that, you know, a lot of these people that come from these walks of life, they've been through things like you have. And in fact, a lot of them have been through things way worse than you have. A lot of them come from broken homes. A lot of them come from trauma. A lot of them have seen things that have really messed them up. They don't really have a framework for what a healthy soul looks like, what a healthy family looks like and things like that. So he began to show me like... He began to show me his compassion. Really, in a variety of ways, I remember just having moments where I would just where he would lead me in prayers of just being like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He also began to show me that there are times where Satan will intentionally attack a group of people because he knows um, that there's a destiny that God has for them. And I began to catch wind of all these prophetic words that were given from years and years ago of God saying that he was going to save many people out of the inner cities of America, African Americans, Hispanics, et cetera, and really set them on fire for the Lord and that they would be sent to the nations to declare the beauty of Jesus, even to like Muslims and Imams and people and see Islam dismantled and just all these amazing promises, right? And I'm like, I started to hear this and I was like, oh my goodness, this is insane. And so really the Lord began to take me on a journey of just in my own life, forgiving and really helping me to see with his eyes and you know when it comes to issues like this they can get very dicey and there could be a lot of details and oh what about this what about that but all i know is the lord began to show me his heart for these people to the point where now um i remember a couple of years ago i uh heard about this movement called Black Voices Movement, which is a movement that's under the circuit riders, which is a missions organization under YWAM that's centered on Gen Z and millennials and really reaching them with the gospel and helping them to see that they can reach their generation. Through some friends and pastors, I knew I got connected with them and now it's to the point where I have, for whatever reason, God's linked me up with them and I've had the honor and the privilege of just collaborating with them and hosting different events. I remember back in March, we had an event for, for high schoolers. I had a dream where me and a friend of mine were laying hands on high school kids and praying for them. And Black Voices was on stage leading worship. And um, we had this event and we saw so many kids um, either get saved or get set free. And it was beautiful. How funny of God, right? <laughs> to take this kid who used to be so hateful towards those people and to change his heart in such a way where now, like, I want to reach them. I want them to know the love of Jesus. I know, the, I know the devil's after them because there's a plan and there's a destiny on their life. And I want to see them get saved and I want to see them get set on fire for the Lord. And I'm happy to say that now, like, I've met so many African-Americans and just minority groups of and people from those groups that are just on fire for the Lord, doing amazing things in their generation and just seeing God move. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just the nutshell of how he re- really redeemed that for me. Josh, who is Jesus to you? Man, (laughs) Jesus, Um, well, first of all, he's God. He's the almighty God. He is the one who lived, died a sinner's death, even though he was sinless so that I could be made righteous, so that I could know him. I will also say that Jesus is the most fascinating, beautiful, glorious person ever. You know, again, I'm this nerdy kid, so I used to watch anime and all these things and see all these big old superheroes with all this power and things like that. And my dad would always try to tell me like, hey, you know, Jesus is more of a hero than all of those guys put together. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. But, you know, (laughs) these guys have it going on. But um, when the Lord really awakened me 10 years ago and— showed me my identity in Christ he also awakened me to his beauty. I'd be like watching sermons from ihop and people would be talking about like the throne room of God and just how you know Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, his face shines like the sun, his eyes are like fire. there are verses that' say there's lightning shooting out of his hands and just I don't know how else to explain it, but I just really began to I really began to get a vision of the beauty of Jesus and just how amazing he is, how powerful he is, how glorious he is, and how in spite of him having all that power and all that glory, he is so full of love and tenderness and kindness. So Jesus is the most beautiful, the most glorious person ever. And um, he's also my shepherd, And it's funny because that's something that I'm a church kid. So I grew up hearing Psalm 23 all my life. My grandma made me memorize it when I was a kid. (laughs) But I remember it wasn't until the end of 2016, after I had just come out of that depression, where the Lord really started to take me on a journey and say, no, I'm going to show you what it means that I'm your shepherd. I remember I heard a message by this guy named Corey Russell, and he began to just preach on the Lord being our shepherd in ways I'd never heard before, so much revelation, and um, how he's the one that, when it says, I shall not want, it means that everything we need is in him. When it says that he restores our soul, he, he heals hurts and wounds, and maybe even hurts and wounds caused by our own mistakes, our own failures, and he starts talking about Peter and how Peter denied Christ three times and how Jesus restored him. And I could relate to that because of a lot of failures in my own life where I felt like I had failed God and he was restoring me and letting me know, hey, you're still righteous, you're still mine. Even the fact that He leads us in paths of righteousness, meaning He is the most perfect leader, His leadership is perfect. I remember not long after that season, my my family transitioned churches because there was a church split. And then not long after that, the new church that I started going to experienced a church split of its own. And so there was just a lot of things that were happening where I really needed the Lord to lead me. And I can attest to you, what, seven years later, that His leadership is perfect. And that Jesus really is our good shepherd. We can trust him. We can look to him for all that we need. We can trust him to satisfy every longing of our hearts. Nothing in this world, no human, no not even ministry, can satisfy those um, deep longings that only intimacy with Jesus can satisfy. And so, yeah, he's uh, he's beautiful. He's glorious, and he's the lover of my soul.
1: Josh, what would you say to younger you if you had an opportunity? Uh, to interact with younger you who's struggling with pornography, who's struggling in his identity, Uh, even that rebellious uh, younger you, right, that one was confronted by her parents, didn't really want uh, to accept what was going on. What would you say to that child that's struggling and maybe even in, in hidden?
0: Well, I would say the first thing I would say to them is that, hey, right where you are right now, God loves you and He's not upset with you, and you don't have to do all these things to try to get close to Him. He wants to be near you more than you want to be near to Him. And I would also tell Him that, um, you know, everything you're looking for in this world, be it in relationships, be it in pornography, be it in just entertainment, whatever, you can only find it in Jesus. And as much as that may not make sense to you now, I would just encourage you to ask the Lord, like, hey, God, make this real to me. I grew up in church, but it doesn't really seem like anything's happening in my life. Make this real to me and just continue to pray and seek God in his word. And I promise he will make himself real to you. And again, just like that, God is not mad at you, that when he sees you, he sees his beloved child. If you're in Christ, if you've, repented of your sins and placed faith in Jesus, he sees you as his own, he sees you as beloved, and he also sees you as someone who is powerful. Not in your own strength, but because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have his power on the inside of you, it doesn't matter what other people have said about you. The Father is the one who made you, so he's the one who gets to name you. Your identity and just the significance and everything you're looking for can truly only be found in him and him alone. And just give it time, continue to pray and ask the Lord to make it real to you. And if you stick with it, I promise he will do that for you. He will make that real to you.
1: Josh, you were blessed to have God-fearing parents that poured into you um, from an early age that were there to even lead you in prayer to receive the Lord Jesus. For parents that are watching right now, that maybe are in that same situation that your parents were at some point, you know, trying to uh, lead their their child in the right way. We, we can see what God is doing in your, in your life today, and we know that what they poured in t- into your life wasn't for nothing, right? So for those parents who are watching right now, what's a word of encouragement that you can give to them as they also are trying to figure out how to make sure that their kids or their children are walking in the ways of the Lord?
0: Hmm. Well, first of all, for any parents out there who are watching, I just want to honor you. You guys go through a lot, You guys are, but you guys are in here. You really want to see your kids grow up to know the Lord and fear him as you did. And so I just want to encourage you that the Lord sees, you know, there have been times where I'll be praying for cause I'm a youth leader at my church. And so there'll be times where I'll be praying for different ones in the youth ministry and like, God, I know you see them have your way in their life. And honestly, there'll be times where he will begin to show me that he loves them and cares for them way more than I do. And so I just wanna encourage you with that. God sees your kids. He sees the addictions, the struggles, the ways that the enemy is just attacking them and the ways that the enemy just has them bound right now. But I wanna encourage you that he sees them. And you know, there's a verse in James, That says that the fervent effectual prayers of a righteous person avail much or just means that they're effective. So I just want to encourage you that God sees you and don't stop praying for your kids. I am a living testimony of what happens when parents don't stop praying for their kids, even when it seems like it's hopeless, even when it seems like while you're praying and doing the best you can, they're going in the opposite direction or things are going worse. But the other thing I would also encourage you is to, um, as you're praying for them, entrust them to the Lord's hands, you know? I love the fact that parents, a lot of them anyway, that know the Lord, they take discipling their kids seriously. But I also believe that there's a component where you just have to let them have their own journey and come to know the Lord for themselves. I think sometimes in our zeal, we can try to like push things. And I believe there's a bit of that that's good. But then after a while, I think we just have to take our hands off and say, okay, God, they're yours. (laughs) I'm just gonna trust that you're gonna reveal yourself to them like you did to me. And so I just want to encourage you to just keep being faithful. The Lord sees, and um, there's a verse in Isaiah that says that those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. There's a verse that in, uh, in Galatians that says that um, to not grow weary of doing good, for at the right time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So I just want to encourage you to just keep praying. Keep loving on your kids. You know, sometimes more than the words we say, oftentimes how we live can be the best witness to them. So. I would just encourage you to just keep praying and keep on loving them. Well,
1: Josh, do you have any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now?
0: Yes. Um, I kind of want to talk to two groups of people. One group of people is maybe you're watching this testimony and you didn't grow up in a Christian home, or maybe, you know, a little bit about God, a little bit about Jesus, and you just happen to watch this video and you're like, oh, this is very interesting. Everything that this guy is saying. And I just want to encourage you that like, God is real he is real. Jesus is real. I'm not sitting here in this chair just talking about theory. I'm sitting in this chair talking about how the God of the universe revealed himself to me in a real way. And um, as I've had the honor to just edit these testimonies for Delafay, I've heard countless stories of people from various walks of life who the Lord just encounters them with the reality of who he is. With some of them, it's dreams and visions. Some of them, it's just a thought that enters their mind. Some of them, it's as they're reading the word, some of it is You know a lot of other ways but i just want to encourage you god is real and he does love you and um everything that you're looking for in this life to have purpose to have destiny to be satisfied to be loved to feel like you belong Maybe some of us don't think about death so much, but I think most of us want to know that like, when we die, like, we're going somewhere and that we're not just purposeless. And all of that is found in Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He died for your sin, but he died for you because he, want, he saw you as valuable and he saw you as worth dying for. And he just wants you to come to know him. Um, the word repent means simply to just change your mind, to change your mind about, okay, I'm going this way, from thinking that okay I don't need God in my life everything's good but even if everything's good in your life you are gonna stand before God one day and have to answer for how you've lived for your sins and I don't know about you but I would rather receive Jesus's payment for my sins than have to pay for them myself and so i would just encourage you that God is real Jesus loves you he died for you and if you ask him to make himself real to you he will um, but the second group I want to talk to is believers specifically church kids Maybe you're a young person watching this, maybe you're a child, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're even a young adult. Maybe you've grown up in church all your life, you might even be saved, but you resonate with that part of my testimony where there's a disconnect. You're trying to read the word, but honestly, God is boring to you compared to the things of this world. And maybe you don't see that as a problem, or maybe you do, but I just wanna encourage you that God has more for you. And everything you're looking for, you can only find it in him. The things of this world, they'll make you happy for a moment, but they will not give you true lasting joy. And for those of you out there who have been rejected or maybe you've been bullied, maybe you're being bullied right now, I just wanna encourage you, God sees you and that you are not insignificant. I don't care what voices you hear in your head. I don't care what people have said to you or about you. You are not insignificant. You're not a reject, you're not an outcast. God made you to know him and God made you, once you come to know Jesus and accept him as your savior, you become his child, you become born again, you become part of his family and he fills you with his power. And the Bible says that if we're in Christ, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means we're royalty. That means that we have a purpose and a destiny far beyond anything of this world. I just wanna encourage you church kids out there, really start to pray and ask God to make himself real to you through his word. I love the fact that we can go to conferences and we can hear other sermons and other speakers. I love the fact that we can get into prayer lines and fire tunnels and receive deliverance and, you know, have encounters. But let me tell you, you won't have an encounter with God greater than when you open up that Bible and just your soul begins to come alive as those words on a page are no longer words on a page, but they are like life to you. And when you begin to experience that, you'll know exactly what I mean. But let me just encourage you, everything you're looking for is found in Jesus. So ask him to make himself real to you.
1: Lastly, Josh, could you just pray for people who are receiving uh, what you are saying? Um, And for those even that are struggling in some of those same areas that maybe they're connecting to that you've struggled with in the past.
0: Mm, It'd be my honor. (sighs) So Father, um, I just thank you for this precious person that's on the other side of the screen watching right now. I pray that if anything I've said has resonated with them, that you would begin to speak to them, Holy Spirit, and even just cause those troops to be lodged deeper and deeper into their heart. I pray for anyone that doesn't know you, that they would come to realize that how much you love them, but also their need for you, that they've come to realize, man, I have sinned against God, man, I am guilty man, I do need a savior, and that they would call upon you, Jesus, and that they would repent of their sins and turn to you. It's not complicated. All they have to do is say, God, forgive me of my sins and just make me new and take my life and do something with it. I pray for those who are struggling, God. I pray for those who are bound by rejection, bound by shame, God. I pray that you would just let them know that they don't have to live there. I pray that you would let them know that they can walk in freedom. I even speak and declare freedom right now over anybody who is struggling, over anybody who is bound by addiction, whether it's pornography, whether it's drugs, whether it's whatever. I pray that you would just set them free even now, Holy Spirit, as they're watching this testimony, that your power would just flow through that screen and that they would experience your freedom right now in the name of Jesus. I come against any voice of the enemy, any accusing voice any voices of Satan, the accuser that's trying to condemn, that's trying to whisper lies. I silence those voices right now in the name of Jesus. And I just pray, Father, that for those who don't know you or even those who do who are struggling, that you would just touch each person right there where they are and let them know how real you are and let them know how much you love them and let them know how much you are for them and let them know how much more you have for them, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen.